suppose God searched through heaven and couldn't find one willing to be the supreme sacrifice that was needed that would buy eternal life for you and me had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary had it not been for the old rugged cross had it not been for a man called Jesus then forever my soul would be lost well I'm so glad he was willing to drink his bitter cup although he prayed father let it pass from me and I'm so glad he didn't call heaven's angels from these hands pull the nails that torment me had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary had it not been for the old rugged cross had it not been for a man called Jesus then forever my soul would be lost had it not been for a place called Mount Calvary had it not been for the old rugged cross had it not been for a man called Jesus then forever my soul good. <clears throat> Let's take our Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5 tonight. Hmm, wow. 1 Timothy chapter 5. <clears throat> All right, I'm going to do something tonight I don't normally do. <clears throat> I'm going to be done. I'm going to finish at 10 after. <laughs> 10 after. I'm a, now listen to me. I'm, a, I'm telling you. At 10 after, now my watch is five minutes fast, so it'll be, it'd be five, 15 after. I have, 20, I have 30 minutes exactly right now. No, wait, 30 minutes exactly, don't I? 30 minutes exactly. Now I'm going to show you an exercise in self-discipline tonight. <clears throat> All right? Here we go. 10 after, boom. Altar call starts. Okay? Out of here. Here we go. You watch. I'm telling you. I'm going to amaze you. 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, <clears throat> beginning in verse 3, uh, well, I'll tell you what, let's just go ahead and uh, review very quickly before we start reading. We're going to read a portion of that, of that passage, but um, of course, we're dealing with Timothy again and the Apostle Paul. We're in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, and 
Uh, we've been addressing the issues there found early on in the chapter. We noted right off the bat uh, that um, uh, the Apostle Paul is working with Timothy and encouraging him in relationships of the church and trying to help him. We know that there's, there's been some, you know, uh, there's going to be a, as we said, uh, a lot of uh, Timothy's kind of like on review all the time. I mean, he's a young man and he's pastoring this church at Ephesus. There's people there that are more experienced, probably more uh, elderly in age. They've uh, been in the uh, they've been in serving the Lord longer, maybe in some respects. <clears throat> but uh, Timothy's the pastor, and so Paul knows there's going to be some opposition. There's going to be some obstacles that he has to face, and so he even begins to address some of the issues here uh, concerning relationships. And he says, "Listen, we want to have the right kind of relationships in the church." And so he right off the bat he says, "Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters, with all purity." And then he begins to talk about widows and widows indeed. Honor widows that are widows indeed, he says, verse 3. And so we, we note that he, he begins to address that issue and he, he runs right on through, uh, I mean, right on through verse uh, 16, dealing with these widows, uh, the widow indeed, and, and <clears throat> outlining the requirement, outlining the, 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 just the, the, the responsibility of the church and, uh, you know, just those kind of things. And so we've taken some time over the last few weeks and have been dealing with all of that. And today we're going to see that he begins another section kind of like. He says, now we're going to deal with elders. We're going to start talking about pastors, if you will. And he's going to address that issue with pastors. And so today we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 17. And so for the sake of things, let's read verse 17 through the end of the chapter, verse 25. And then we'll continue with our study as the Apostle Paul talks to Timothy and he, he writes Timothy concerning this issue of elders and dealing with them. And so here we are in verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith that thou shalt not, uh, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. I, I, I don't know if that's what I should think about that uh, picture there of pastors. But anyway, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not a, an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. I charge thee, therefore, uh, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels, that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. So we're going to deal with the elder now. We're going to move from widow indeed to elders. And so let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and we're going to concern ourselves with three basic areas. And we'll talk about those in just a moment. Father, help us in these next few minutes to be encouraged, to be, uh, Father, instructed, and to be inspired. Lord, may you teach us, and Father, help us to understand the Word of God and to apply it properly. We love you and we need you. Bless your people tonight. And Father, we'll give you the glory in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so, right off the bat, he turns his attention now to the elders again. 
Remember, right in the beginning of the chapter, rebuke not an elder. Now he goes back to the elders and he says, let the elders, he goes on to say, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Now, the word translated rule here is the same word that's used in chapter 3, verse 4. Notice in chapter 3, verse 4, the Bible says, concerning the office of a bishop, the qualifications, it says not, it says, goes on to say, one that ruleth well his own house. You see that? The same word ruleth used there for him ruling his house is the exact same word that is used here for ruling the church. That's very important, isn't it? That's a very important statement. Now, because, see, what we're saying is the same way that he's to rule his home and with the same authority he has in the home to guide and direct his family, he has in the church. As a matter of fact, this is what's even more interesting. Not only is he to rule it, but if he rules well, he's worthy of double honor. So it's not even a matter of, well, should he or shouldn't he? It's a matter of not only should he, but he should do it really well. Now, now that goes contrary to our social makeup. That goes contrary to uh, man's nature. Because let's be honest with you. You know what the, the greatest problem, the root, the root problem in every single one of our lives is? Pride. That's where it all begins. Everything in our life is rooted in pride. Boy, I tell you what, it's hard to accept the reality that somebody is to rule over us. That's hard to accept. Why, 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 you know, when I, hey, this is a wake-up call, if you ask me, for every young woman in the crowd who's searching for a husband. I, I think it's a wake-up call. Because, ladies, see, the man you married is called upon by God to rule his home. You, you, I, so you say, well, what's that have to do with the tea? And, you know, that has nothing to do with the, uh, what's that? The cost of tea in China or something like that. Okay, but anyway, the price of tea in China. That's right. What's that have to do with the price of tea in China? It has nothing to do with the price of tea in China, but it has a lot to do with you as a young lady looking for a husband because you better realize the husband that you choose, the one you stand at that altar with, the one that you say I do to before God and mankind and that man right there. Listen. That man is going to have the authority to rule. You say, well, rule doesn't mean what you think it does, preacher. You read in the Bible what it means. Doesn't matter what I think it means. Doesn't matter what you think it means. Doesn't matter what our culture defines that as what it means. It, what it matters is what God says it means. And may I say something today, ladies? You need to be real careful. You better, be, you better not be flipping about, uh, well, he's cute. And, well, you know, he's really hot. And he's this and he's that. Well, let me, let me tell you something. Let me give you a few basic things. Well, no, I'm not going to give them to you because I'm going to give you some reasons here on a Sunday night message coming up soon uh, uh, why you should just drop a few of these guys. But I'm going to tell you something. This is a reality. Notice he's to rule his own home, but he's to rule the church. That means, ladies, again, in his home, he's to rule. Your husband will rule too. Be careful. But then it's a wake-up call to the church then. You say, how's that? Well, Being aware of this ruling nature of the pastor, then, it's important that a church understand when they're choosing someone to be the pastor of their church, that they are yielding to his authority and allowing him to rule. You better be real careful who you put in the pastor at church. Because when you do that, you are saying we are yielding to his authority as pastor and he is to rule over us as he rules his home. Now, there's not a man in this room here 
that would say, well, if I'm ruling in my home, then I think all my children have a right to put their two cents in and come up with the, you know, determine exactly what direction we go as a family and exactly where we live and exactly how we do things. I need to, I need to take a poll of everybody in my home. I've got four kids or five kids. One of them's six, one of them's eight, one of them's 12, one of them's 16. And it, you know, it matters. You know, my opinion is no more valuable than theirs. We have a democracy in our home. I don't think there's a guy in this room that would say, well, that's how we operate, and that's a wonderful thing. You'd say, are you kidding me? My, my six-year-old's not going to determine what direction this, this household goes. No, that's why I'm daddy. God put me in charge to rule because I do know what's best. That six-year-old don't yet. He hasn't experienced life. He doesn't understand exactly what I do. I'm daddy. I've been placed in responsibility and control for a reason. So I take this very seriously as a daddy. And I know that what my decision is going to affect every single child in my home. It's going to affect my wife who's in subjection, submission to me according to the word of God. I've got to be extremely careful. Now, hold on. That works the other way then. Now, you're the children and you're going to have somebody come in and pastor your church. You better be real careful who you put in here to rule over you. I'm just telling you, don't just go, wow, he's a great preacher. Boy, his messages are so exciting. Who cares? Man, you better be real careful. This is not a TV show. It is not reality TV. And listen, you know what's so sad today? We have this mentality and mindset, well, if I don't like the preacher, I'll just leave. Let me tell you something. That's not how God intended it to be. And this is your church. You're invested in this ministry. You have, you've invested your time. You've invested your energy. You invest your finances. Listen, you are responsible for what direction this church goes in when you put someone in this role. Be careful, church. I just say you need to be very careful because, again, the pastors to rule over this. Hey, listen, democracies, we, you know, in America and in around the world, democracy is the best one, we say. But, you know, God's a monarchy. God believes in monarchies. Do you realize that? Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ ruling and reigning with a rod of iron. That's God's ideal rulership. <laughs> that's like, Whoa. Now, I want you to know something. There's no man on this earth that is capable of, a, of running a monarchy properly because he's got flesh. But hold on. He is called, whether you like it or not, to rule the church. Well, I'll tell you what. You better be careful. He's the man of God he ought to be before you put him in this role. Because if he's not, he'll make your life miserable. Make your life miserable. You don't want that. You don't want that. So be careful. We often say, you make the choice, then the choice makes you. <laughs> That's true in life. I heard that years ago at a youth camp. Years and years and years and years ago, I promise you. I was in my 20s when I heard that. Haven't forgot it since. You make the choice, and then the choice makes you. <clears throat> now, Christ is the head. The Holy Spirit is the executor, or the executor, if you will. He executes things. And the Holy Spirit raises up elders in the church who are to make decisions and lead and who are given honor if they do their tasks well. That's basically what we see. Now, in dealing with elders, he goes on now to address a couple areas. First of all, he addresses their pay. He addresses their pay. You say, what? Absolutely. Look at verse 17 and 18. He says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. 
especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor is worthy of his reward. Now again, you see what's going on here. Consider the use of the word honor here in verse 3. I think it's interesting. Notice verse 3. Honor widows that are widows indeed. What did we say it meant to honor widows? Widows indeed. You honor a widow indeed. What were we doing? Supplying and supporting them. That's how we showed honor to the widow indeed, did we not? By honoring and supporting her. The honoring was supporting. Did we not find, did we, I'm not hearing anything. Did, did we not say that a widow indeed was to be supported by the church? If she met the requirements and qualifications, she was actually be provided for? That's how you honor a widow indeed, by providing for her? So therefore, obviously, here in the same passage, and we'll back this up again in the next verse, but when he says here simply that the elders that rule well are to be counted worthy of double honor, that same word honor is being used for the elder now. That means that he's to be supported doubly. Whoops. Whoops. Now, I know that goes against what we've been taught. We've been taught that it's the church's job to keep preachers humble and poor. I mean, years ago, that was the norm. It's not so much the case now. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that is. But I, I've, I've, you know, I used to grow weary of hearing preachers whine about being poor. And, and, and I was going to be one. I couldn't stand it. I hated preachers that whined about having no money. I hate it. But let me tell you something. It is not the church's job to keep a pastor and his family poor and humble. Never has been. And, and, and listen, let me tell you something. A good starting place for the man of God is the average of what you make. If you make 100000 then why doesn't he? Now, that's a good place to start, the average. Now, I know you guys don't make 100000 And if you do, I wish you'd tell somebody. <laughs> but wherever that lies there in the median of the church, you know, kind of the general idea, the average of the church, if people are making 40 or 50 or 60 or 70, whatever the average is, I think that'd be a good place to start your pastor off. But wait a second. If he's proven himself, if he's a valuable asset, if he's accomplishing the work God's called him to and doing a bang-up job, good job of it, then it shouldn't stop there according to the Word of God. That's, it shouldn't stop there. You shouldn't say, well, I don't make that much, so he shouldn't. No, you should be like, man, let's take care of our preacher. Someone says, oh, preacher's not looking for a raise. No, he's not. I'm not looking for a raise, but I can tell you this. I may not be the pastor of Community Baptist Temple forever. I'm trying to set the next guy up scripturally and biblically. You need to know how this works. Whether it's a year or whether it's 10 or whether it's 20 from now, I don't know. But the point being is you need to know biblically where God stands on this thing so that you can do this right. Now, again, notice what it says here in 1 Timothy 5. He says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Look at the emphasis that God puts on the word of God. Again, that's the key. Psalm chapter 138. Turn there, if you would, please, very quickly. Psalm 138, verse 2. Look at the premium that God places on the Word of God. It's amazing. If you would ever attend Maslin Baptist College, this is their theme verse. 
Dr. Bruce Cummins put this as their theme verse when he opened the college up a number of years ago. Psalm 138, verse 2. It says, I should know it by heart and I probably will figure it out once I start saying it because we had to memorize it. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. You know, we sing that song, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. That's a sweet name. But his word is magnified above his name. Isn't that something? So the next time someone says to you, Someone says, oh, I love Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. You can go, hmm. His name's wonderful, but what about keeping his word? I'm glad you love his name. But boy, his word ought to be loved more than his name. You say, well, though, whoa. Yeah, I know. Hey, listen, the word of God's a premium. So God says about these elders, God talks about these pastors here. He says, now listen, Timothy. He says, uh, let the elders that rule well be wor- accounted worthy, counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Those that put forth effort, those that really direct attention to. That's a good thing, he's saying. He goes on, for the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. Um, thou shalt not muzzle. That, that's, that's pretty good. Can you imagine muzzling an ox? He's out treading corn. If you're a farmer and you're treading corn, you're probably making the farmer a few dollars. You're accomplishing the mission, the purpose that you have for existing as, a, as an oxen. Now, it would be crazy for him to muzzle the ox and not permit the ox to eat because the ox will eventually do what? Grow weary, tired, and ultimately useless. That'd be crazy. So he's saying here, don't muzzle this guy. Don't, don't, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. And the laborer, he says, is worthy of his reward. He winds up down here in verse 18 and says, the labor is worthy of his reward. Now, Paul evidently envisions the elder being paid for their services then, paid for their service toward the local church. Now, there are some groups, some, some denominational groups that don't believe that a pastor should be paid. They believe that a pastor should work like Paul the Apostle worked and, and you, know, uh, you know, have a job full time and, and just work in the word of God and he'll get his reward in heaven and it's a blessing and it's good and all that stuff. But obviously, Paul are here speaking to Timothy has the envisions or sees this idea of when a man of God gives his life to the ministry, to the work of the church and serving the local church, that he's to be compensated, he's to be cared for. See, the word reward literally means pay. The word reward means pay. The word for labor, of course, as we all know, I hope, suggests growing weary, become exhausted from toil and effort. So as he toils, as he works, as he exhausts himself in the, the, the things of God, the work of God, he's to be remunerated and compensated so that he can continue to direct his efforts in that arena and not be sidetracked, distracted, 
It's so important that we understand that the work of the ministry is a labor. It's a work. If work's not being done, then there's no reason to be paid. None. I get excited when I see those numbers on the inside uh, of the bulletin that say so many souls have been saved. I like that. I like that a lot. Because that means something's being done. Things are being accomplished. And I, I like it when my staff comes to me and says things like, hey, I'm going to start discipling this person. And I go, yes. That's the ministry. Teaching and training others to do as we do. That's exciting. I like it when a church member says, man, I'm getting a burden not only for a soul, but I'm burdened for that person sitting over there and I want to see him grow in Christ. Can I teach them and train them? I, that, that fires a preacher up. Now that just means, you know, your life has to be what it ought to be. You need to be involved in where you need to be involved and that's a blessing, though, when someone comes and says, I want to invest in that life. And I say, man, we'd love you to disciple them. We'd love you to invest in their life. See, that's great stuff. That's the ministry. That's the labor of it all. Now, preachers are to focus because they're organizing labor, and they're involved in labor, and they're working in the Word. Those are good things. So their pay. The first thing we see is their pay. And secondly, note their punishment. Now, again... It's a great privilege to be in the ministry. But there also, it's a tremendous responsibility. Notice here, concerning their punishment, verse 19 and 20. He's telling Timothy again, he says, Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. He then goes on to say, Them that sin rebuke before all, that others, may, uh, others also may fear. Right off the bat, he says, Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Now, it, it is unbelievable. I, I think you'll agree with me here. It's unbelievable how quick people are to gossip about church leaders. Just um, unbelievable. It's amazing to me. It's amazing how anxious they are to entertain stories, whether they're true, whether they're false, doesn't really matter. But we enjoy that. It's just so exciting to talk about the leaders. And, and, and then it's even fun to pass it on to other people. It's amazing, isn't it? Not one of you have ever had somebody try to tell you a story about a leader at our church. Not one of you has ever had anybody say something negative about a leader at the church. Not one of you has ever had somebody question the direction, the leadership, and the wisdom of a leader in our church. You know that right now I'm being extremely, extremely sarcastic. Because that is such a natural tendency. It's so natural in our flesh to do that, to question leadership. Children, we have to teach them not to question leadership. Right off the bat, that's something we have to do. Uh, well, why? Uh, you ask that question again, and you're going to learn. But see, we don't have that luxury in the ministry. Okay? We were hoping that people had learned that already. And I'm kind of being joking, but I'm not being joking right here. I'm being honest, too. Why do you think he puts this in here? I'll tell you why he puts this in here. Because Paul had been unmercifully and unfairly attacked at Corinth and other cities. I mean, ripped bad. Timothy understood what this abuse was all about. I'll guarantee you that. 
No doubt about it. Moses was constantly criticized throughout his tenure as leader of the nation of Israel. Constantly. Continually. The Israelites murmured against him. They murmured against Aaron, the Bible says. Matter of fact, from time to time, God would actually intervene to vindicate and protect his servants. He had to. He just, I can't take it no more. I've got to deal with these people because they're ripping my leaders. David. Think about how many times he was criticized. Think of Shammai, how he criticized David behind closed doors. But then, when given the opportunity, he did it publicly. Boy, that cost him, didn't it? I'm just saying, this is not something that's new. This has been around for years. And back when the Word of God was being written in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle to Timothy, he addresses this issue. Why? Because, because the practice he knew would not only be going on then but forever, he says, we're going to have to deal with that tendency. We're going to have to address this issue because we cannot allow people to go around accusing elders without cause. They see what he was doing here. And so what he does is he puts some rules in place. And he says, against an elder received not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Don't even entertain this accusation. Don't even hear it out. Don't even allow it to exist if there's not a couple of other witnesses that will put their name on it. Well, who made those accusations? I can't say I'm loyal to them. I, I can't say I'm, you know, I, they trust me. Then I shouldn't even be listening to this accusation because there's not witnesses that are willing to come forward. You're breaking the rules. And by breaking the rules, you're disobeying God. You're tearing down His order of things. God knows that human nature is to do that. So he's saying, now listen, as a church, there's, a, there's rules that you play here. There's rules in place to protect the elder. If there's a legitimate problem, then it needs to be addressed, and it has to be dealt with. As a matter of fact, we're going to see that once it is in the open, once it is confirmed that there's a problem, then guess what? It's dealt with what? Publicly. Because of the responsibility that leader bears. Wow, that's, that's huge. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 19.15, the Bible says, One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin, in any sin that he sinned. At the mouth of two witnesses or at, at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. Now, that's in the Old Testament. And so Paul carries that truth from the Old Testament to the New Testament and says, that's how we're going to deal with it here because it's going to continue to be a problem just like it was a problem way back there in Jeremiah's day. It's going to be a problem today, Timothy, and it'll be one forever. And so in the church, we need order. And therefore, we have a plan and we have a means by which to deal with this. It is no accusations received or entertained unless there are at least two or three Witnesses that will put their name on it. You know, I believe that, uh, you know, one of your staff is doing this inappropriately. Okay. All right. How do you know that? I just have a feeling. I think I, I saw something. I saw them talking to this person. And it looked like it was really, you know, 
under the radar. Oh, I see. Are there any other witnesses that can, you know, collaborate or give us some kind of credence or some kind of foundation for this? Well, there are some folks talking. Well, who's talking? I don't want to say. Well, then why are we talking about this? Now, you've got to believe this. If somebody would come to me with that, <laughs> my little spidey senses would be out. And I mean, I'd be watching things, okay? But may I say that as far as you are all concerned, you should tell that person, shut up until you got proof. Get away from us. If you, don't ha- if you can't prove what you're saying, then shut your mouth because it's unscriptural what you're doing. That's how it needs to be handled. So simple. Simple. You say, but if I think somebody's abusing a child here, I'm... you better come talk to me if you think that's going on. And by the way, hey, hold on. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. You listen closely. You be real careful before you... Hold on now. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. If I think that's going on, hold on. Listen to what I'm going to tell you now. I don't care if it's my family. Hold on. You said, oh, good. I'm good. I bet. Or if it's yours. Or if it's yours. I'm calling the cops. That's what I'm doing. Did you hear what I... If if it's even your family, too. I'm calling the cops. Not just mine. Yours, too. If we have any reason to believe that somebody's hurting or harming one of our children, we're throwing them in jail. We're throwing them in jail where they belong. That includes your family, too. Not just mine. Everybody's like, well, the preacher, he's probably covered that all up. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to cover it up with my family, and I'm not going to cover it up for yours either. So don't come to me and go, no, that's my, that's my, that's my dad. You can't do that to him. Too bad. I've got to do that to my kids. I'm going to do it to yours too. You hear how that works? Because, listen, nobody, nobody has the right to hurt and harm a child like that. Now, we're not talking about some little kid got his hand slapped. I think he's being abused. Uh, don't, don't even go there with me. Kids might need their hands slapped. But when there's really legitimate stuff going on, I'm, I'm, hey, listen, this wouldn't be the first time I called the cops and had them come pick somebody up. Oh, I've done that before because I believe this stuff. It's serious. I don't go for that stuff. I have a grandbaby now. I wouldn't want nobody hurting and harming my grandbaby. And I think, and as far as I'm concerned, your children are just as valuable as mine are. I want nobody hurting yours either. And I hope you feel the same way. Amen. Now, we're not on witch hunts around here by any stretch of the imagination. Nor, no, no way. But we are going to protect what's ours, and we're going to be careful doing it too. Don't make accusations about people, though, if you don't have any kind of proof. Now, you may come to me personally and privately. But do not go to people in this church going, I think uh, brother so-and-so over here and sits over here on the right, I think something's going on. Or I think something's going on here. I think, do you have any proof? No. Then don't talk about it, especially if it's an elder. Then you really can't because you're really going to get nailed. Now, we see that going on here. So I have three minutes. So we notice this, but, but then notice again what happens if, if indeed there is a problem, if, if an elder or a, a man of God has violated a moral, ethical boundary, 
and it goes contrary to the word of God, how's it dealt with? Man, it's, it's like nailed. Look at what they do here. I mean, God doesn't, Paul the apostle and the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't mess with this thing. Notice he says, against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. There's the protection. But notice what happens next, though. If it's found out to be true, then them that sin rebuke before all. I don't get the luxury of slipping out the back door. I don't get the luxury of, of, well, I made a mistake. I mean, come on now. Let's keep this between us. No, I don't get that. Because of my position, because of the fact that I'm ruling the church, what goes down here in my life goes down up here too before this. You know, that does a couple things. One, that's accountability for me. I need to know. I mess up. I'm going to have to stand before this whole congregation and confess it, deal with it. But then he says, it's good for the others too because then they will fear. What he's saying is they're going to see that there's no partiality here. Even the big dogs go down barking. Everybody is treated the same. Nobody gets a free ride. And even the pastor, the elder, he has to face the music if he does the crime. Like, like old Beretta used to say, you're going to do the crime, you've got to pay the time. I think he used to say, don't do it if you don't realize. Don't do it. Okay, I have to kind of get that in my head. I'm trying to remember that song. All I can remember is Huggy Bear. But anyway, so the fact is, is that we've, we've got this issue going on here. So that's what we see here. Now, we're not going to have time to go to the next one, their practice. But we see that when we're dealing with the, the elders, the, the elders are the preacher here. He's telling them now, he says two things. He addresses their pay. He addresses their punishment. And boy, I'll tell you what, he's serious about this thing. He's serious about it. And so he's putting it in the Word of God and helping us to understand it. Now, I believe today we have a wonderful congregation. I, I believe that. I think we've got a great church. But, but we are humans here. And the reality is, is that we all need to be honest with ourselves when it comes to us and the Lord. And, and we just need to realize that, that we are all prone to make mistakes. We are prone to fall and trip and fail and all that stuff. But we also need to be very aware that others are watching. And boy, I'll tell you what, we have a responsibility to all of these here, not just the young people, but all of us. Man, when one of us struggles, falls, trips up, it hurts all of us. And I just want to encourage you to be careful in your life. Watch what you do and where you say, where you go, and just really do your best to, to be a man or a woman of character, integrity, and to be godly in your walk. Because we're working together to do something bigger than ourselves here. And we need each other. And don't forget that. We need each other bad. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for your love and grace. And Lord, again, we, we know that this particular passage in the Bible is just one passage out of a whole Bible. But Lord, it's, it's, it's big. It helps us to recognize how to deal with issues in the church and how to address and how to... How to how, your rules on how to work and to move forward with it, just like you gave us rules with widows indeed. You're now giving us some rules that apply to pastors and how to deal with them and how to approach that situation.